the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Good evening, everybody. Now, if you don't know about the show, the first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, and, you know, it's Easter weekend. We're going to spend some time talking to one of our favorite priests, Father Paul, who's back from the Middle East, who's back from Beirut. Safe and he'll, sound. And he's going to tell us what's going on overseas right now and, and what luck he's having in, in getting his Christian refugees out of the country. So that'll be up next. But in the meanwhile, let's spend a little bit of time talking about estate planning. And Beth, you have an estate planning question in front of you? I do. I have an email. Hi, Mike. My name is Richard. My aunt, whom I took care of since my dad's passing in 2006, passed away two years and one month ago. I'd received your flyer in my aunt's mail. In her will, she clearly wills me her co-op in Brooklyn. I had a real estate lawyer recommended by the real estate company as he was familiar with the co-op and would get this transaction done quickly through probate. Well, it's over two years now, and the story I get from the lawyer is any day now. It's with the judge, only one judge to do this, and the like. How can I get this to be done and have the judge sign off on this? I have not heard any of the issues or reasons other than stated. Something does not sound right and taking this long. I'm paying the monthly maintenance for the co-op and all is current. I would like closure on this as it is becoming a financial hardship on my family. I would appreciate some direction. Thank you. Sincerely, Richard. Yeah, Richard, I hate to tell you this, but that's the problem about going through probate. And that's why we talk all the time, you know, in our seminars, in the show, we want to avoid probate. Now, I believe your co-op does not allow you to put the stock certificate into a trust. Those rules are what placed you into in probate. And the problem with probate, all the next of kin have to be officially notified. There's a bureaucracy. And sometimes it's hard for me to explain, and you can't explain it. Why it takes so long, I don't know. 
but it does take that long. And that's why if you're planning in advance, you want to avoid probate. So at the, at the same time, if there is an issue, your lawyer should tell you what the issue is. But I can tell you right now, a lot of times it is just delay. If somebody took the staples out of the will, that would cause a delay. If one of the witnesses, if their signature wasn't legible, that could cause a delay. If the will, if you had cousins who were next of kin as, lo- as well as you and they didn't sign a consent, that could take forever. So there are a lot of things that can go wrong with probate and some things that you may not even consider going wrong with probate. Like, why would you think that because somebody took the staples out of the will, would there be a delay in probate? Well, because then the court clerks take a look at it and they say, wait a minute, did anybody change this will? Did somebody take one page out and put another one in? Let's contact the witnesses. Let's get a statement from the witnesses. Make sure it's the same will that was signed that's presenting to us now. And, you know, the court does not work in in a speedy manner. And it's, it's a hard thing to say. But that's what it is. And probate takes a lot longer than you think, even what you think it's a simple probate. And again, if if there are any complications, again, at the same time, your lawyer owes you an explanation of what's going on. But the court works in a slow system. So I don't want to say get too impatient about it. Sometimes that's just the way it is. And for those of you out there who can plan in advance, that's one of the reasons we want to avoid probate. Because let's say you have a stock certificate to a co-op. You die, the stock certificate to the co-op is in your name alone when you pass away. It's got to go to court, which means, one, everybody who's your next of kin has to be officially notified, be given an opportunity to contest the will. Even if they don't contest, they might delay it a little bit. They may say, hey, we want to examine the witnesses to the will, whatever. That could cause a delay. Two, if one of the next of kin of the deceased person is mentally incompetent, they can't protect their own interest. The court will appoint a lawyer to protect their interest. That's going to cause a delay. Sometimes you have missing relatives. You know, you're a nephew of, let's say, one of your aunt's other nephews and nieces can't be readily ascertained, their ducking process, that's going to cause a delay. Sometimes if you have missing relatives, that could, that could delay a will by years. And, you, you know, sometimes we have problems. People have, you know, cousins in, in Europe, especially in, you know, in some countries, everybody has the same last name. Everybody has the same first name because they're named for their grandparents. And tracking down people takes forever. You know, if you're dealing with a database in Europe, and databases in Europe are not easily accessible. It's not like here in the States, where usually you can track down somebody with a matter of hours. In Europe, there's a lot of privacy concerns and issues. You can't just get into a database and start finding people. Same thing if you're in Israel. Just can't do it. You need a you know a specialized agent who knows you know the systems in those countries. Of course, that takes time. That takes money. And, and if you can't find them, then you have to publish in newspapers. So probate the, the court system works in an exceedingly slow manner. That's why if you're out there, if you're planning in advance, you want to avoid probate. And again, you're more than welcome to come into us, talk it over. We don't charge for the initial consultation. The first consultation is free on anything regarding you know estate planning and elder law. And, and if you have assets, please plan in advance please avoid probate. But Richard, I don't think there's anything wrong. Hopefully, I mean, your lawyer should give you a reason why there's a delay, but sometimes it just takes a long time and and that's the way it is. I'm so sorry, Richard, for your whole family. And I I hope y'all can hang in there till till it gets through probate. And let's hope there aren't any problems and it'll be okay for you real soon. But uh, we do see that in the office so often and it's most unfortunate. And here's one thing you may want to, I mean, it may be too late for you, but you may want to bring it up to your co-op board. Some co-ops do not allow the transfer of the stock certificate into a trust. And and one of the problems that you have with a co-op, you know, if you own a deed to a house, we can sign a deed over to a trust that's totally within our control. If you own a stock certificate to a co-op, it's not necessarily in our control. You have to go through the co-op board and you have to get permission. Now, different co-ops have different reasons. And and some of the reasons they want to keep control of who's coming in and out. 
out. They don't want to give up control by necessarily allowing a trust and then let somebody else maybe move in without them knowing it. Somebody dies, they don't know about it, and they want to keep control. And that's one of the reasons some co-ops don't allow a transfer into the trust. But at the same time, you get this situation where you're paying maintenance for years without being able to sell the apartment. That's a reason to bring up at the board, and you're a shareholder right now, why can't we have a trust and bring up that example? And and I know there's another side of a coin, but that's to be discussed at the co-op. Well, meetings. you'd think that they could interview the person that was in, you know, that was going to be in the trust if they would even at least allow for an interview for the person. Yeah. And and just for your listeners out there, again, just remember, if you own a stock certificate to a co-op, we can't just switch it over to a trust. We need permission of the board. And if you want, you can you can ask your co-op if you allow a transfer to a trust. Or if you want to come into our office, we can email the managing agent, the board, and usually they give us an answer pretty quickly and their reasons why or why not. Again, if you own a co-op, it's not like owning a deed to a house. You own a deed to the house, we sign a deed, we can get it out of probate. You own a co-op, we have to transfer the stock certificate into a trust. To do that, we may permission of the co-op board. How does a condominium work? Condominium, for the most part, is a deed. You may need permission of the condominium association to switch it over, but it's not like a co-op. You can sign a deed, and that's within your control. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to be talking to Father Paul in a couple of minutes. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars. On Wednesday, May 29th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue in Masspeth, Queens on Thursday, May 30th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m., and at the Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside, Queens, on Friday, May 31st at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718 Two three eight six five hundred. That's Connors and Sullivan. Seven one eight two three eight six five hundred, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call seven one eight two three eight sixty five hundred, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. 
Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit ccbq.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. Right now, we got our special guest with us, Father Paul from the Middle East. Our Hello, Father everyone, Paul. my friends. Yeah, our Father Paul, the famous Father Paul. <laughs> good to see you, and good to be here. Thank you very much. Okay, now, Father, you know, some of the listeners have not heard you before. Can you give them a little bit of your background? Well, absolutely. So I'm actually a thief, and <laughs> um, what I'm doing as a Capuchin friar, I'm taking, you know, all kind of despair from people, and I'm oh. switching to some kind of hope because that's what we're looking for. So it's good to be uh, like a, you know, blessed thief. But I'm a Franciscan. I'm a physician at some point. I'm a vascular surgeon, I'm a priest, and uh, the funny thing is that every time I say I'm a priest, people don't believe me. If I say I'm a physician, they don't believe me either. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm just a human being, and I'm in love with, with God and St. Francis from Assisi. So let's see how it goes. Now, what is your mission right now? My mission in, uh, in the Middle East is actually to take care of our Christians, because why? First, they feel abandoned, because the Western world is kind of thinking about different stuff these days, so they feel like, uh, you know, lonely. So for almost 20 years, it's amazing, for almost 20 years I, I am with Christians, I work for them, I work with them, and we try to, you know, make their life a little bit easier these days, especially in Lebanon and Jordan, and as you know, refugee camps now, it's, it's, a, it's a very um, hard place to be for them, for Christians from Syria. So yeah, we do our best to, to, to keep them safe. Now, you've been dealing with some of the victims from the Syrian civil war. What, what, is this, what is the situation right now over there? Correct. As you remember, you know, the Syrian government were using a uh, uh, few times, uh, you know, chemical weapon. And, and I was hoping that, uh, you know, Western governments, they, they will finally do something about it. So, but they didn't. So my, my actual mission was to help, help those Christians who were um, a victim of that, uh, of that uh, biological weapon um, so, like medically, but also psychologically, and uh, especially children. You know, if if you if you're using uh, any kind of gas and 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 uh, you know kind of biochemical weapon, it's it's the very first uh, audience to respond is are our children. So I was about to I was kind of surrounded by by all those kids and and helping them to to get better. But some of them they will have they will have um, issues for the rest of their life because of this. Yeah. Today, we're, we're taping this interview early, and, and today is Monday. Notre Dame, it's on fire. Oh, Notre Dame, yes. Uh, Notre Dame de Paris, yes. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a history of France, you know, and uh, that, uh, that uh, church was, was uh, through all these years and centuries, uh, built, rebuilt, you know, the reconstruction. So it, was, uh, it is still a, a symbol for... for uh, for France to to have uh, you know Christian background and Christian roots, 
And um, as you remember also that during the, the French Revolution, the, the church uh, suffered as well. But I think the, the, it's not just a building. It's a, it's a space where everyone can feel home. And uh, what's even more important is that Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame in, in Paris is actually also the place where people from different you know, uh, denominations were, were able to pray and ask God for some, some kind of help. So it's hard to see, um, it's hard to see those, those, those photos, those images from, from France now and seeing that beautiful church uh, in, in, in fire, you know, and uh, I'm afraid we will, I don't think they will tell us what was the, the real reason. They may say it's a renovation issue or stuff, but these days I don't really believe in that kind of official statement. So let's see how it goes. But it's a really sad day, not just for France, but for us Christians. You know, the history that's involved there. Now you have a connection to France. Correct, yes. So because I was born in Poland and I was raised in France, so uh, uh, this is kind of the heritage I have. And uh, I still remember my parents, you know, they were, they were really kind of very... Um, uh, very uh, carefully uh, teaching me uh, that we are all actually uh, our roots are Christians, that we have it's all about values that, you know, egalité, fraternité tout ça, it was, uh, it was uh, way after, but the very first thing we've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and, uh, and you know, uh, it doesn't matter, you're Lutheran or Catholic, but uh, that was our kind of common space So and I remember this church, you know, for for many reasons, uh, some some family events, but also people, you know, attending those masses, especially with the choir. So it's uh, it's a very interesting also um, to see how many people responded, you know, because now they're sending, you know, t- via tr- Twitter or, or emails their their kind of regrets or they their their thoughts. So it's it's good to know now. Now it's good to know and good to see that Notre Dame it's a, it's it's a really important place, not just to to me or my family. Okay, now speaking about France, in an earlier show you talked about you were very disappointed how the French government was dealing with immigration and the policies in Europe in, in general. Correct. You know, I think the political correctness just won um, the space. And, and, and you know, if, you, if you switch off your the one question, how should we help uh, people, and, and also we should know uh, who they are. We should know their identity. We should know what kind of expectations they have. We cannot just, you know, open uh, our borders and to say, oh, you know, every, every, everybody welcome. Because as you remember in France, we've had so many issues uh, given to that situation and so many complications. So I, I truly believe that the government went too far just, you know, opening the space. And we don't even know who's next to, to us, you know, who's my neighbor. Uh, so and also as you as you know we have that uh, critical situation within the country where where people are asking uh, President Macron to 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 step down because uh, he's not really a successful president for many reasons but uh, I think the whole situation it's not just the financial concept of of the country but also uh, as a human being I'm, I'm, we are kind of afraid of of being uh, to I mean next to someone we have no idea who they are. And I think if you invite someone to your house, it's good to ask, you know, what's your name? How are you? If we don't do this in a, such a simply manner, we, we are lost. And that's what's, what's happening in, in France. And remember that Christianity in France, it's, it's unfortunately, it's kind of a private matter. So we, we see that Christian presence less and less uh, visible. Now, you mentioned in some places you're not allowed to put up Merry Christmas signs. Oh, yes, yes. That's that's interesting because, you know, we've been all baptized, you know, in Europe. And um, I would say majority of, 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 uh, of French 
uh, people are baptized, you know, in different, of course, in different churches. But uh, it's interesting that all those postcards were like, you know, uh, it's no more uh, Joyeux Noël, which is in French language, uh, Merry Christmas. It's all about like happy, you know, uh, uh, happy, you know, seasons of joy. All that nonsense that I was kind of, uh, I was witnessing um, in France. So I think we were losing our identity just to, to you know, to to help other people to feel better. But I think, how about us Christians? I mean, who's going to do anything to to let us feel better or, or feel uh, recognized? So, yes, I think the Christianity, it's interesting because even the ex-president Hollande, he'll, he was the one telling people, you know, we have to go back to our roots because something went wrong. So that's a that was kind of a strong message. And I was never a big fan of him, but I really admired and appreciated that message to wake up. It's a wake-up call for the whole society. And Germany is doing have, having the same issues as well. Yeah, and, and you explained, I think, in one of the last shows, the, the lack of vetting that went into the refugees coming into Europe. Oh, absolutely, yes. And, you know, if, if someone is using, you know, five different Syrian passports, I mean, uh, you can be sure that it's a fraud, you know, and, and if you don't ask. And also, I think it's manageable to ask who you are and, and to find out who you are for a very simple reason. For medical uh, purposes in, in our refugee camp, we have to examine people, which means we have our own uh, catalogs, we have our own data, so we have to, we can use it. And, and you know, when you, when, you, when you have a you know, blood test, when you have some medical records, of course you can follow up with. I, I'm, I'm just kind of surprised why uh, the government in Europe, the French government or the German government, they just said, you know, everyone, everyone welcome, and that's that's uh, that's the beginning of the whole uh, uh, very problematic concept of, of refugees in Europe, and most of them are not like real refugees. You know, it's all about uh, they co- they call it now a financial immigration. It's, it's interesting. Either the Spiegel, the German newspaper, the magazine, they they invented that term just to I don't know justify the whole situation. Another nonsense that uh, I have to deal with on a daily basis. Now, the people that you deal with in, in Lebanon, the Syrian refugees, the Christian refugees, how many Christians are in the Middle East right now? Oh, the whole Middle East. And, and also, that's, that's a good question. We have six million Christians. And many people may think, oh, just maybe 100,000. And I would say, no, absolutely not. And uh, we have a very little knowledge about Christianity from the Middle East. Very little we know about our roots. And, uh, you know, six million, it's like a, it's a decent city in, in, in New York, uh, in, 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 in the U.S. I don't know what city may have uh, six million people, but New York, it's about eight, correct? So, yes. so, Im- so imagine, it's, it's, it's a huge number. It's, it's, it's impressive. But if you ask, like, random people on the street how many Christians we have in the Middle East, they may say maybe 100,000. If not less. Well, I think uh, even some congressmen that talked to you were surprised at how many Christians. Oh were yes, uh, yeah, Mr. Gaudi, if I if I pronounce his name correctly. Yes, he was very supportive, but yes, he was surprised that uh, not not only his, but because I saw the reaction when I was having that that hearing uh, in D.C. that people were kind of surprised, like what 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 just happened? Six million? No. We may have different information, and I, I, I have to tell you, you may have different information because someone is giving you wrong information. That's why. Of course, you're dealing with, with Syria and Lebanon, but they're Christians in Egypt. Yes, Copts Christian. That's the persecution every day. And we will not will we will not hear about it uh, on a daily basis because it's it's still a political statement. Copts are persecuted every day in Egypt. It's not just it's hard to get a job. It's there is a very vicious circle of law. I would say circle of law in a very in a very um 
this, how it's a destructive way where Christians, especially Copts, they have no future in Egypt. And 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 some of those you know big names from the government they say it's like they, there is no more. There's no more place for them, for cops in Egypt. And it's interesting because they were in Egypt for centuries and they were always helping the country to, to get better and better. So uh, it's really sad to see how many cops are, are persecuted. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked to a Nigerian missionary and he said the Arab Spring was catastrophic for Christians in Africa, the Middle East. You, What's your comment? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, they call it spring, uh, Arab spring. It's a winter for Christians. I think I, I said that once. It's a, it's a winter for all Christians from the Middle East and Africa. Why? Because, you know, all those, uh, um, I have to say, all those crazy people were, were released from very, uh, you know, very uh, extreme um, kind of Islamic movements. And, uh, you know, for Islam, Christianity doesn't have to exist. It's just something to, to be eliminated from, so um, or separated from. So yes, Arab Spring didn't didn't do the the whole mission, and, and um, I'm sorry to say that, but uh, it's a, it's a failure. It's, it's a failure, and and we know that. It's just uh, no one really wants to admit that it was wrong. You speak Arabic, correct? And occasionally you've been in a mosque. Yes. Oh, yes, every Friday. It's, that's, that's interesting. All right. So Experience. are they talking about peace and love, religion of peace toward Christians? Well, and Jews? Uh, if they talk about peace or love, it's, 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 it's going to be something that I will be like, what, what just happened? What went wrong? Uh, usually they're, they're um, I wouldn't say speeches because they call it like a sermons. It's, it's all about, um, unfortunately, how the West is lost and how we should get... Uh, to do something and and just de- destroy the West because we don't need the West. We, when I say we, I mean from the from the Islamic perspective, and it's it's interesting to me because every time I'm I'm here in the U.S. I'm I'm hearing those beautiful theories about the intellectual Islam, like it's possible to have it, and I was like, I've never met an intellectual Islam on the street in Beirut or Amman. And if I will, I'll let you know. You'll be the very first uh, person to know. It's just, you know, someone is fluent in nonsense because it doesn't exist. They want to eliminate us. They want to say, you know, uh, your time is, is, is done. And that's what's, what's happening. And it's interesting because, you know, all those intellectual um, Islamic scholars, they're all, they're all here in the U.S. Isn't it interesting that they, can, <laughs> they proclaim the intellectual Islam here, not in the Middle East? I wonder why. Well, I know why. I'm just, you know, being sarcastic. Because if they do this in the Middle East, it's going to be the end of their, of their end activities. So uh, these days, everything is politicized. But if you, uh, whoever is listening to us, I don't believe that we do have uh, uh, intellectual Islam willing to cooperate with intellectual Christianity. It just doesn't exist. You believe in God, and you're supposed to be kind and forgiving and patient and, and you know, a, a decent human being. If you're not... Uh, I'm afraid your religion has nothing to do with any religion. Anger, it's not a religion. It's, it's a state of mind, and unfortunately we have it. Uh, we are witnessing that, that you know, anger, m- very, you know, destroying mindset that we have to go for. Now let me ask you something, the Koran. You know, there are different quotes from the Quran. You've obviously, you've translated the Quran, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and you know what's interesting? The Persian version of the Quran and the Arabic version of the Quran, I'm, I'm afraid I'm really like two different books. Um, and and it's, it's interesting because let's say the very, very famous sentence about how to, 
how to have a dialogue with your wife. So the Arabic version is like, you know, you can you can kind of school her in a kind of vicious way. <laughs> uh, that's the Arabic uh, version. And if when I say a vicious way, which means, you know, there's some kind of violence involved. But in the Persian uh, version, it's just you just let's have a talk. Let's let's talk about the issue, you know. And I'm, I'm, I was like, I thought it should be the same. You know, the translation shouldn't change the the, the deep meaning of, of, of the, the, the Quran. But it does. And I was like, uh, and, you know, every single imam, some of them I've met, they can barely read in the, you know, in, in Arabic language, but they, they just memorize those sentences to to show people how, how much they know about the Quran. But if you ask them the same questions, but from a different kind of, you know, point of view, uh, some of them are kind of lost. So uh, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a lot of manipulation uh, as well. I don't say that with the Bible we didn't do the, through the history, but at least what we did, we've had a very critical studies of the Bible. You cannot do this with the Quran. It's just like forbidden. They call it haram, which means forbidden, no way to go for it. But, you know, some people would say, well, aren't there different versions of the Bible? Isn't it the same thing? Uh, well, if we say— You have the King say, James Version, you have Dewey Reams Version, so Correct, forth. but it's still about forgiving. It's still about being a, a decent human being. Uh, you, you're not changing whatever Jesus Christ was saying. You, you don't change the, 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 the meaning and the context. You may use different words, but the meaning should be the same. Like, linguistically, you cannot switch— the whole concept of, of some Jesus Christ uh, sermons just to prove your point, you have to go for it. And it doesn't matter if it's a very old English language or a very old French language. If you if you see the Bible from like 18th, 19th century in France, uh, you can barely understand what's going on because this, this, the, the, you know, the, the language itself doesn't exist anymore. But you do not change the meaning. You don't change the truth. You just, you just present the truth with, let's say, new vocabulary so that the new generation may, may understand it, especially the, the younger generation because they already lost. Now, what's the difference between the Persian Quran and the Arabic Quran? Oh, Persian is so nice to read. It's like, I feel like it's a, it's a very nice, I wouldn't say just poetry. It's just, you know, you have, you have your cup of tea and you open the window and you open your mind. It's like, that sounds so beautiful. And uh, when, you, when you read uh, the Arabic version, you have your sugars going high, your blood <laughs> pressure, and you ask yourself, should I stay home for the rest of my life? So, yeah, that's, uh, it's a very emotional uh, difference that I see so far. Okay, we need to take a short break. We'll be of back course. in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth, yes. and Father Paul. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your 
family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, again accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. And the famous Father Paul. Hello, hello, back. Thank you for having me. Okay, Father, you know, we've heard some stories in the, in the news media, whatever, that ISIS is finished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you're laughing, so what, I, what's your I, thought uh, on it? Because, you know, if you treat the ISIS like uh, um, just an institution to be destroyed, uh, hypothetically, yes, you may say that, but... ISIS is about people. It's about extreme extremists who are actually looking for some kind of revenge. And those people, they're still around us. So I wouldn't go that far that the ISIS is gone or it's over. Because people who are sharing ISIS uh, ideas about the future of their, of, of their presence in, 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 in our world, they're still around. They're still planning. They're still looking for some kind of, you know... Uh, um, anger management issues against us. So uh, I don't think that it's gone. We may we may hear, unfortunately, from them uh, from time to time. Now, where you are, you know, sometimes I think the Americans get a little confused. What's Hezbollah? What's Hamas? What, what are those groups? Oh, Hamas is all about Palestinian uh, uh, cases against the Israeli government. Hezbollah, uh, they, they, they act like they protect especially southern parts of Lebanon from Israel. Uh, but just to you know, just to keep you updated, Hezbollah is also like kind of supervised and financed by by the Iranian government. And uh, for Hamas in Palestine, it's all about you know the the independence of Palestine to have a, a separated state. And I don't think that's going to happen because uh, Benjamin Netanyahu won for the fifth time, so he will not let them be uh, the independent. Uh, country. So Hamas is all about Palest- Palestinian causes, and Hezbollah is about uh, protecting Lebanon from, from Israel. Now, are they allies? That's a good question. Well, if I say yes, you will receive a bunch of phone calls like, oh, no, of course not. If I say no, uh, that will be kind of a lie at some point. So uh, I will try to be a Jesuit here, and I will answer <laughs> oh, your question with another question. What do you think? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, these days everything is politicized, and you have to have some allies around. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if, if at the end of the day we may discover that there is a, I wouldn't say a deal, but at least like a, a decent conversation between them. You know, like a, a lot of us in the States, it's a little confusing to us. Shia, Sunni, mm, what's oh, the difference? Okay, so my friends, whoever is listening to us, well, first, keep your positive view of life. Whatever you're listening to, uh, there's always hope and, and God will guide us. So imagine you have a family and um, the father of your family like has died because it happens. We will all die to go to heaven. So we're going to switch our zip codes. Um, so he died, and and his idea before his death was to you know to to say you have to you know my family please continue my my mission my the, my way of, of of thinking. So he he died, and family is meeting together in you know to to read the the will. And you're a lawyer, so you know sometimes it may be a very dynamic place to be <laughs> in the kitchen. So um, they open the will, and they say. Oh, he told us to follow up with his um, way of, of of thinking, but I think that we should do a different thing. That's how Shia and, and Sunni, uh, you know, started to exist. When Muhammad, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, died, it was a, a, a never-ending debate who who should follow up with his mission 100%. So, you know, uh, the Muhammad's family said, oh, we will do this. But Muhammad's cousin say, said, oh, we will do in a better way. So that's how Shia and Sunni started uh, their existence. Until now, they're all separated and they're like, you know, against each other. And it's interesting because also we have to know that Islam is not, a, a, you know, a, just like a one solid movement or, or religion that they are they have some issues there there if you go deeper into their their commitments they're separated Shia and Sunni that's why you have th- that tension between Saudi Arabia Iran you know different kind of you know uh, way of thinking that's why we have Shia and Sunni yeah well there's some people that say that really it's proxy wars between Saudi Arabia and Iran all over the Middle East well politically speaking well these days everything is politicized even your your simple trip to uh, to Iran or Saudi Arabia, it's uh, it's it's going to be always politicized. I will be very careful in any kind of strong statement like who's helping uh, who's helping who and who's giving this and that to to other government. Um, it's interesting because what I have in my mind now, uh, when the Pope Francis went to Saudi Arabia, he also went to Morocco recently. Um, I was kind of. Uh, thinking maybe it's a good moment also for him to say that the Christianity from the Middle East is, is actually, is, uh, you know, our people are persecuted within their, their their governments they have to deal with. So I hope the message was sent and the message was, was clear. But uh, other than that, you know, Saudi Arabia now, they have a, they have a hard time. Um, Iranian government, they have another kind of issues to deal with because, uh, you know, uh, President Donald Trump put their, their, their guards on the list of, uh, of terrorist organizations. So um, I'm sure the Middle East, they're not a big fan of, of the Western world. But what they try to do, I think, is to just let us know that, uh, yeah, they will, they, will, they will stop by. They will tell us uh, that we are wrong. And I think uh, we have to be really aware of that. Uh, so let's see how it goes. When you're dealing with your refugees, can you explain the difference between dealing with the Obama administration and dealing with the Trump administration? Oh, absolutely. Well, um, President Obama was was um, he was very fluent in some kind of uh, you know giving uh, promises. Uh, he won a Nobel Peace Prize 
uh, that was the vastest, I, I think, Nobel Peace Prize that that I, I've heard about, uh, because he was just no, you know, he just won the election. But uh, yeah, he promised us uh, that if Syrian government will use any chemical weapon, he will step in. He didn't. Maybe he didn't have time. He was busy with different stuff. So we've lost. Um, and also, um, the U.S. embassy in Amman or in Beirut, they were willing to give visas to to way way more to. Um, kind of, you know, um, different religious, uh, religiously oriented people. Uh, so let's say the Muslim community, they've had more visas than Christian communities. And I remember I was doing paper for, for some Christian families. They're, they're, we're supposed to have the same uh, application to fill out. And at the end of the day, I realized that we did this. Everything was, was just went well. It just didn't get the visa. But, you know, our friends from the same line we've been doing in, in front of the of the embassy waiting for our our time to to be interviewed, uh, they've got the visa and they were very excited about it. So so all this uh, has changed when when it's, it was a nice um, changing moment when when President Donald Trump won the election and I remember he was the only candidate uh, telling people that he will take care of, of Christians from the Middle East and and he does he he's doing this beautifully well. Uh, yes, I know my friends, whoever's listening, you may think, oh, he looks angry. That's his kind of, you know, way of, of saying things. But um, he was uh, at the very first moment, from the very first moment of his of his campaign, he was the one and the only one talking about Christians from the Middle East. So now, yes, there's more opportunities for Christians. I would say more, uh, more visa options for Christians from the Middle East. And I think we can go even farther and one day we will have a... A nice, uh, you know, bunch of grants, fellowships, a scholarship for Christian students from the Middle East, so they can come here and study and and be smart and and go back to their own, uh, you know, countries to to spread some, you know, good news about life. Well, let me ask you something yourself. What are you doing in the states right now? Oh, that's a good question. So, uh, as a Capuchin friar, at some point from time to time, I have to pretend I'm smart. So I'm doing my PhD, um, and um, it's going to be about uh, medical anthropology, which is all about access to any medical um, help or activities for Christians uh, from the Middle East. Uh, NYU is, is a very, um, they're always very nice to me and very patient because I'm not here all all year. So uh, I, you know, I supposed to finish everything by uh, by November, and by December I should po- I supposed to wrap it up and 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 say everyone that was a good job. So uh, just uh, you know the PhD dissertation that's the main reason because I got that grant from NYU, so that's why I'm here. But it's good to be here from time to time. Yeah, I guess so. Yes. Now, what, you also We're teach at NYU. Oh yes, 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 and you know with my very particular sense of humor, it's it's funny because sometimes I just traumatize students. Uh, <laughs> I, d- I cannot tell you from what countries because I don't want to sound bad, but uh, sometimes I just, I'm teasing them. I love teasing people, and, and sometimes it's, it's nice to see their reaction because if there's a lack of reaction, that means the joke was um, was not nicely done. Uh, so, yes, I'm teaching, yes, and, uh, and you know, especially Fridays, since I'm so exhausted, so I pretend to be very uh, excited and dynamic. But I think with that thoughts exchange with students these days, it's, it's always a very dynamic place to be. Well, what do you teach? Oh, I'm teaching pathomorphology. I know, it sounds horrible. Pathomorphology <laughs> and biochemistry. So, you know, it's all about Christianity at some point. So, uh, yes, if you need some help or you have a test to go for, I can help you with. No extra charges. 
<laughs> now, getting back to you again and in your history, I mean, some people don't know what a capuchin friar is, so maybe mm. we should go back to that. Of course. So if you know St. Francis from Assisi, my friends, if you know the guy who in the 13th century um, said, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's over, we have to do something to to have that, you know, um, a peaceful spiritual revolution within the uh, Catholic Church. That was St. Francis from Assisi. So we follow up with him. That's why we're all rebels, and that's why we try to say uh, maybe we should go and look uh, into some, some stuff from a different perspective. Uh, Capuchin uh, order was established in, um, uh, in Italy, so uh, by force we have to speak Italian. Uh, all of us, and also we have to always say thank you to God. It's in our contract um, as a Capuchin friars. Uh, so it's a Franciscan movement, yes. And I hope we will we will be you know we will be around for for a while. It was in effect in a reform movement. Oh yes, absolutely, yes. yes because uh, you know Capuchin friars at some point they say they said. Um, in the past that, you know, it's it's too classic, it's too boring, let's spice it up. And that's how the Capuchin order was established, to spice it up a little bit, our spirituality, our faith. And I think so far so good. We are 11,000 people around the globe. Um, only few countries we are not present because of the weather conditions. I'm talking about Scandinavia. Um, <laughs> so that's the only reason we are not there as of yet. But climate is changing, so let's see how it goes. One never knows. <laughs> yes, you never know these days. Now, as as part of your order, you have to take certain vows. What are they? Oh, three of them. And I believe, uh, yes, it's, it's hard. It's uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience. And you know which one is the hardest one? Obedience. Yes, it's hard to follow up, especially, you know, sometimes superiors, they, they truly believe that they have a superior knowledge. And I have to tell them, maybe not. <laughs> or maybe not this time. So it's hard. But they're, they're very forgiving. And, uh, you know, I didn't end up like St. John of the Cross, who was in prison. Um, so I think so far so good. There's hope. There's hope within the Capuchin order as well. All right. Now, here's a question. You are a priest. Correct. Yes. Right, you know, full because, time. Full time. Because sometimes, you know, it gets lost in the translation because you're a medical doctor. Yeah. I'm, yes, I'm a Catholic priest. priest and a Capuchin friar and a physician. Yes. I know it's too much to bear. I, I hear you. But this is who I am, and that's not going to change. As, as, but as as the money you make, where does it go? Oh, to my uh, uh, fraternity. We call it a friary, yes. Mm -hmm. We don't have our own uh, personal accounts. Uh, that's a good thing because you're not like you, you, you don't have to wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, how much incomes I have. <laughs> it's just you have a friar who's in charge of, of, your, of your financial uh, condition. We have uh, just one account for all of us, and... Whatever you're doing, uh, whatever salary you have, uh, uh, you know, um, as a friars, we collect those money and uh, we spend them. We pay our bills. And uh, it, it's good to have that, you know, opportunity to help each other because some of our friars are already, you know, uh, retired. And, uh, you know, if we have um, if we have our, you know, very, you know, basic um, financial condition uh, kind of to follow up with in a good way, that's uh, that's because we share uh, it's not about individualism. It's about sharing. But in effect, you're going to have three doctorates in a little while, and you get paid about minimum wage? Well, I thought about it. And, you know, some of my um, uh, Capuchin friends, they, they told me, like, like, what went wrong? Where, where did you end up with us? <laughs> and I was like, the thing is, you ended up with me, and good luck to you. <laughs> so, um, well, to be honest with you, um, I'm glad to be surrounded by very interesting people. And... 
I was never the one thinking that I should be a millionaire. Because if you're a millionaire, you know how many cousins will show up at home <laughs> to tell you I'm your cousin. And since I'm already well surrounded, I don't need like extra cousins to show up at Stanton Street. So I'm fine. And I'm totally fine. And it's not just about, you know, having a degree. It's about being a just, you know, uh, an available uh, a priest who is not, uh, you know, creepy and, and dangerous, but just a good guy to, to be with. All right. Now, uh, finally, for the, for the audience, Christians in the Middle East, what? What should we be doing? Okay, so when you're going to have your, your Easter breakfast or lunch or dinner, please say a little prayer, like for one minute and a half, for all persecuted Christians from the Middle East and Africa. Why? Because if we don't pray for them, that being said, we don't care. And I want you to care about Christians because I think this is all about the same family. I know sometimes you may have a cousin and he's a horrible person or she is a horrible person. But at some point as a Christian, we're supposed to pray for horrible people as well in our families. So no one is perfect. But if we can pray for, for Christians from the Middle East, if you can talk about Christianity um, with your family members, uh, that may really simplify your task as a, as a host because if you're going to talk about politics all day long, people are angry. But if you're going to talk about Christianity and the message about Easter and about the resurrection, you can imagine how, how people will, will, will act differently. And they, will, they may say, I love you. They may say that. So don't freak out and just uh, talk about Christians with your family, members or friends. Now, this fall, Beth, I think we better have another fundraiser for I Father think, Paul. I think we mission. should. I think we should. And we'll go auction off some of your paintings? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. By the way, when I feel like, um, when I feel like overwhelmed with, um, um, within the medical field, uh, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to paint. And uh, it's usually oil on canvas. I don't do acrylics. If you're a big fan of acrylics, I'm not the one because after I have a headache size of Nebraska. But I do paintings, yes, and um, of course you can follow up with my artwork. But yes, if you can help us, why not? Because basically what I'm doing, I'm buying kind of boring stuff, medical equipment, uh, medications, vitamins for kids, especially, you know, for, for small children, and, and baby incubators. Isn't that amazing? I'm buying used baby incubators because we have so many pregnant women from Syria and it's it's good to celebrate life. So uh, you cannot even imagine how many lives we've been able to save because you help us to buy a, a, a baby incubator. So also when you think about Easter, it's about giving life because God gave us a new life. So that's what we're trying to do. All right. So we got to work on a fundraiser for that's the right. fall. That's right. Yes, if you can. And if you're not broke. Um, oh, we'll try not to. Well, like, but with your pain, we'll, we will make some more um, cards. Okay. So the paintings, you know, they they may be too expensive for some people, but yeah. the cards you can take home, you can note cards, Correct. you to write to your friends. We love you, Father. Paul. Yes, we ran out of time, you guys. Yes, but thank you for being with us. Thank Father. you, and happy Easter happy to Easter all of you guys. Thank you. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors and Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors and Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over thirty years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. 
talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Well, Beth, I guess Father Paul gives us a different perspective on things. Always. Even with all the problems we have in this country, we should thank the Lord that we are living in the United States of America, you know, with all the liberties. And and those of you celebrating Easter, like us, please have a blessed Easter to our Jewish friends. Happy You know, commemorate the, the Passover season. And yeah, there are tough times in this world and we have to get through it, but let's keep our faith in God. God bless you all. and listeners, you can attend any of Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on Wednesday, May 29th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue in Masspeth, Queens on Thursday, May 30th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. and at the Adria, 221-03 
1-800-273-7117, Northern Boulevard in Bayside, Queens, on Friday, May 31st at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.